Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. The care of nursing home residents and the support of those providing that care have long been outstanding issues. During the pandemic, the number of residents who died from COVID-19 reinforced the fact that U.S. nursing home care may often be ineffective, inefficient, and unsustainable. The Greenhouse Project, a national network of small nursing homes, has been called a promising model for the reinvention of nursing homes in a post-pandemic world. My guest today is Susan Ryan, Chief Executive Officer of the Greenhouse Project. She will talk about the current status of nursing home care and why quality of life for residents is difficult to achieve. She'll also talk about the greenhouse project model, how it differs from the traditional nursing home model, and the advantages and disadvantages for residents. So welcome, Susan, and thank you for joining me today. Oh, Cheryl, thank you so much for having me. It's really a delight to be with you today. Okay, well... Before we talk about the Greenhouse Project, let's kind of lay the foundation about what's happening or what has been happening in the traditional nursing home model. So start out by describing the traditional nursing home model. What what should we know? It's interesting to me. You know, I don't think you have to be very old. Maybe a five-year-old could probably tell you what a traditional nursing home is. And in many respects, I would say it's kind of modeled after a hospital, very institutional in its nature. And let me put it this way. I would say that as a former director of nursing, I was a young director of nursing, and I went into nursing home care really thinking about it from kind of an efficiency mindset. And I went in with a great desire to bring the best quality of life for the people that live there. But I will tell you that it really seemed to rob people of their privacy, of their autonomy, of their control. And what I will tell you as a director of nursing, I was a director of nursing when restraints were best practice. And when we think about safety, when we think about all sorts of things and that autonomy control and really understanding who people are, that humanity got lost. And we actually tied them up to keep them from falling. And there was something that rose up in my heart as a call to action moment that our best practices were really robbing people of their personhood. And it was at that time I made a decision that I would go into home care and really do my level best to keep people out of those dreadful places. I think um, 
loneliness, helplessness, boredom have always been kind of the hallmarks of what happens in a nursing home. But it's certainly the place that I think most older adults would say, I'd rather die than move into one of those places. And from what I'm hearing you say, that's exactly the case. My sense, and and certainly hearing what you're telling us, I would imagine that most older adults fear living in a nursing home. Would you agree? Absolutely. And so you have to ask yourself, well, why are they so fearful? Well, I kind of described a few things that would certainly strike fear in our hearts. But I think, you know, when I think about it, it is that loss of control. It is that ability to determine when you wake up, when you go to bed, what you might eat, where you might go. And I think the other part is the loss of identity. It's really being part of them, the residents that live there, and not as a unique individual. And I think that's really uh, oftentimes what people would describe as, I'm essentially coming there to die, and I've just become a number, and at some point my number's up and that's it, but I'm not really coming there to live um, any quality of life experience. Susan, what would you say in terms of family members of older adults, and especially in the event that their family member needs nursing home care. Have you found that family members kind of view this the same way? Well, let's put it this way. Let, it's not something that oftentimes is thought about well in advance. It's typically a crisis situation that has kind of perpetuated or the, the need has emerged. And so it's really in this crisis that they're suddenly starting to look around And, you know, nursing homes are often, it's that last resort. We want to do everything we can to keep mom or dad in his or her own home. And then when it becomes cost prohibitive or their needs are greater than what they can really bring in and prop up, nursing homes often are the last resort. And family members are trying to figure out where can we put mom or dad, where they will experience the things that we would hope for them. But it's not something that is looked upon typically with a lot of joy or anticipation. Oh, this is the next place. This is, it's going to be wonderful for you. But I think there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of concern. And I will tell you, there's often a lot of guilt when a family member is really trying to determine where mom or dad will go and what is that best nursing home for them. I certainly have experienced it in my own life and really trying to determine as my mom and and stepdad were aging and trying to determine where they would go. We spent a lot trying to bring home care in to support them in their own homes. But there became a point when my mom, the caregiver, who was the one that was caring for my stepfather who was living with some dementia, when that system failed, when she was gone, it's then without 24-7 support, um, he's not able to live alone. And so then we're on that journey as well. And I'm an educated consumer. And I can tell you that fear was there, that concern was there. Tell us a little bit more, because I think sometimes people don't know. I'd, I'd like to get a few statistics. Tell us about like the average age of a nursing home resident, 
maybe in terms of gender? How does the number of women residents compare with the number of men? And maybe even racial and cultural uh, backgrounds. How does that compare? Give us kind of a, a sense of what the average population in nursing homes is, and I know it varies around the country. Sure. Well, I, I would say for the most part, you know, I would say over half of those people living there are over the age of 85. And to my earlier point, you know, this is often that last resort. And so you don't see a, a lot of people in their late 60s or even 70s that are moving into nursing homes. Uh, by far, they are women. About three quarters of those living in nursing homes are women. And, um, you know, when you think about those that have access to quality nursing homes, I would say where we live, the zip codes are largely a determinant. And people of color certainly have fewer and worse nursing home options um, because of the geography or the zip code in which they live. And so I think, you know, um, we certainly learned as COVID kind of roared through the country, it was people of color um, that were disproportionately impacted um, by COVID because of those poor quality nursing homes. And as to diagnoses, you mentioned a, a, a bit ago about dementia, but talk a little bit more when you would walk into a uh, traditional nursing home, what was or what is the usual or the most common diagnosis that you see amongst the, the residents? By far, dementia is a precipitating factor for one needing an admission to a nursing home. I would say the other thing that uh, pops up an awful lot is a stroke. Someone's had a stroke and they have uh, some impairments that, has, that have left them um, unable to really care for themselves and meet their own needs in their own home. Um, cardiovascular diseases, you know, those are precipitating factors to stroke. I would say diabetes are other complicating factors, but uh, by far, and Greenhouse had did some research where we discovered 85% of those living in greenhouse homes had a diagnosis of mild to severe cognitive impairment. I think the Alzheimer's Association, they've got some facts and figures that would tell you by far, you know, it is the reason why someone living with dementia would be uh, seeking a nursing home. And on average, how long would you say that older adults live in a nursing home? With the advent of post-acute care or rehab, you know, there's this small, maybe a quarter of people that are going into a nursing home for a rehab stay. So after a hospitalization, they'll go in for the rehab stay. Um, I would say the other piece, um, about maybe 20%, are those that are there about a year at least. And then a smaller percentage are there for up to five years. So for some people, it is home for a good period of time. And I, I use home in air quotes uh, for a long time. And then the other thing, and I know we will be talking again, and you've mentioned COVID already, uh, but just in general, what are the ratios between staff and residents in most nursing homes? And I know this has continued to be a problem, but What's what's ideal? What's been happening? And and in fact, maybe you could even talk about what factors determine adequate staffing. So, kind of give us an overview of the staffing issue in nursing homes. 
Staffing is a hot topic, and we could probably take our entire interview and really talk about the workforce crisis that was fueled by COVID. It is at epic proportions, and nursing homes are closing because of inadequate staffing. And there is, on the Biden Biden reform agenda, there is um, a call for a staffing mandate because staffing ratios are not hitting the mark. And certainly COVID exposed how poorly um, they those ratios were hitting the mark. You will have a CNA to 8, 16, sometimes up to 30 people that they're responsible for. Um, and that's some states, there are mandates that require certain staffing ratios um, or hours per day of direct care time that would be spent on that elder. But I will tell you that they're woefully, um, they're not hitting the mark by any stretch. So what determines a staffing ratio? How would we make a decision? Well, acuity levels. I think, you know, really understanding the complexity of needs that would require the attention of our CNAs, those healthcare heroes that are there to really support uh, those residents in a nursing home. The other thing is what shift are they on? Is this the day shift when we would want more people there, which is why typically they're looking at hours per resident day um, as they're thinking about it. And obviously more um, hours during the daytime as opposed to the evenings or the nights. And what are we asking the staff to do and making sure that you know we have the adequate personnel to ensure that they're living, they're not just... Um, Having, I mean, they're having their basic needs net, met, but they're really able to ensure that they're engaging with that person, enabling them to not just live safe, but to live with some meaning and purpose. And unfortunately, that's not happening at all. I suspect also that depending on the area, there can be sometimes language barriers too, in terms of interaction between the staff and residents. And I also was wondering even about adequate training. If there's such a shortage, are the people who are getting hired, are they really getting the kind of training that they're needing? We heard a lot about that again during COVID and the awareness about infections and the possible prevention of infections, this kind of thing. Is is that a part of it as well? I appreciate you saying that because I really believe that it's not just getting a warm body there, but that it really is making sure that they're equipped with the skills, the knowledge that they need to be able to do what we're asking them to do. So during the pandemic, as you mentioned, um, there absolutely positively was this, we have a problem. And so there was a temporary nurse aid certificate, and there were some things that nursing homes were able to do to bring these folks in. And it was some minimal training that was available to them at that point in time. And now that's about to expire. And so, again, there's a real challenge to figure out how will we uh, provide the education. It's a huge problem right now in really being able to equip and educate and support um, the care force or the CNAs that are, are working in our our nursing homes, and even sometimes the nurses, but it's really that direct care staff that I am most concerned about right now as it uh, pertains to the COVID pandemic. And based on everything that you've said so far, I would kind of conclude that quality of life 
in nursing homes is not viewed very well. Uh, and and is that what you are hearing also, and you and your colleagues and and the people in the industry about the traditional nursing homes? Absolutely. And I will actually share with you something that it was a CNA who was a CNA in a traditional home and then became a worker in a greenhouse home. And she says, I felt like I worked on an assembly line. It was trying to figure out how many baths or showers I had to do on my shift and how many trays that I could deliver to the the people in their rooms. And she said, I got so tired of it and I just felt like I went home every day and I was not able to complete all the tasks that were on my plate. And the assembly line, because these are people, these are not widgets, she said it would not always work as seamlessly as I would want it to. And so that was the problem, I think, you know. And then the other thing that I would mention, um, we have this preponderance to safety first, and I'm not saying we throw safety out the window, but when you think about quality of life as it pertains to what happened during the COVID lockdown, and residents were isolated, locked down, quarantined to their rooms. Think about the isolation. Think about that lack of social connections to the people. And that's not quality of life. And what we lost in COVID as as it pertains to quality of life was unconscionable. And it was, you know, coming from a good place, but it just wasn't a place for people to experience quality of life. And we just kind of went, keep them safe. And our mindset is so institutionally focused. And again, it came from a good place. But I think the quality of life went out the window. That was not the priority by any stretch. And we really need those more balanced approaches and, and critical thinking to think differently. Well, you provided a great segue into my next question, which is about the Greenhouse Project. So give us an overview initially. Describe how the Greenhouse Project concept evolved. When was it introduced? Where? What do we need to know? I'm going to go back to the early 90s when Dr. Bill Thomas, a Harvard-educated geriatrician, was a medical director in a nursing home in upstate New York. And he was doing his rounds and went to see a lovely resident who was there, and she had a rash on her arm. And he was there about to write an order on her chart for something to address the issue on her arm when she tugged at his sleeve and pulled him down and said, Doctor, I am so lonely. And he said there was something about the gaze in her eyes that hit his that he thought the plague's affecting those in nursing homes are not what I can write a prescription for, but it's loneliness, helplessness, and boredom. And it was at that time he and his wife, Jude and Bill Thomas, developed what was called the Eden Alternative. They developed 10 principles that were designed to bring life, meaning, and purpose into those sterile institutions that I've described earlier. And that Eden alternative went globally, actually, as a real solution to the the plagues of loneliness, helplessness, and boredom. But in his proselytizing and really getting the word out about the Eden alternative, he discovered that those buildings that people lived in were aging more quickly than those living in them. 
And he said, so what would that ideal environment be? If I were rebuilding nursing homes, what type of environment would it be? And so he spent some time thinking about it, and he came up with the Greenhouse Project. And the Greenhouse Project is really, you think about it through three core values. Real home, that is the physical environment. That's what we see. It's not home-like, but it's a real home. It's private rooms for 10 or 12 people living in them. Within that room, you've got an ensuite shower, so you're able to have the dignity afforded by the, the bathing experience in your own room. But what I love is that it's an open concept home. There's a lovely hearth that these rooms open out into where you've got a kitchen. So it's decentralizing our dining departments and really having food cooked in that real home where people sit around a dining room table and they're able to enjoy that social connection as people, enjoy community around one table. So that's real home. Meaningful life, it's not just the physical environment, but it really is what happens in a day. How does the person live, live, not come to die, but live with meaning and purpose? And that happens as a function of relationships, really deep knowing relationships, and really understanding who a person is, and understanding and believing that each person living there is a person with intrinsic worth an individual, and that only happens by an empowered workforce, and that's the final core value, empowered staff. And it's really believing that those working closest to the elder, to our point we made earlier about education and that training, they need to be equipped with the skills to enable them through consistent staffing to be in deep knowing relationships, to know who each person is, and what they are able to do to deliver meaningful life. So this to our staffing ratios, our staffing ratios, it's about, well, we call it two to 10 or three to 12. And it's important we say it that way, because it really is more of that familial concept. And it really is about staff that are equipped and prepared not just to meet their care needs, but their nutritional needs. They're actually cooking meals for those that are living in the home. They are doing the laundry. They are doing the meaningful engagements during the day. So they're really understanding who are we as a household and who are the individuals that live here. So they're able to live a meaningful life and they're able to experience the joy of being in a real home. Well, that is an excellent introduction to what the Greenhouse Project is and a perfect time to take a break on this program right now. And we're going to be learning more about the Greenhouse Project in the second half of the program. But right now, I just want all of you, in case you tuned in late, uh, our guest today is Susan Ryan, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Greenhouse Project. And you're listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. So we'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703 703- 
558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. We are having a very interesting and informative conversation with Susan Ryan, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Greenhouse Project, and covered a lot of information the first half about traditional nursing homes and just began talking about the Greenhouse Project and what that model is and how it's different from the traditional nursing home model. But we're going to learn more. And I'd like to start this part of the interview, Susan, with you talking about benefits. What what are the benefits to residents that that live in a greenhouse project model? Absolutely. And I often say to people, greenhouse is best shared as a collection of stories of how life got better uh, when somebody has moved in from their traditional into a greenhouse home. One of my favorite stories is about a man who actually, he was a younger gentleman in his 60s. He moved into a nursing home. He was a bilateral amputee. He had just lost both of his legs due to uh, some diabetes and gangrene of his legs and, and such. So he was, he was pretty depressed and he moved into his greenhouse home. And when he moved in, it was really interesting, those deep knowing relationships that I talked about, the power of relationship to really understand who a person is and what a person needs to live a meaningful life. Well, long story short, this individual was soon in his wheelchair tooling around in his greenhouse home. He loved to garden, they discovered, and they got him outside gardening with the staff there. He also enjoyed eating, and before long, he was no longer on hospice. He was enjoying that life, the aromas of the food, and really being able to participate in the things that brought joy to his life. He had that autonomy, being able to get around in his neighborhood. His greenhouse homes were in a real neighborhood, somewhat a place like you or I would live. And so he enjoyed meeting the the resident the those that lived in, in his neighborhood. So here's the interesting thing. He actually had a spill in his electric wheelchair once when he was out making a visit. And most places would say, well, that's the end of that for you. We're going to make sure you have to stay in your greenhouse home. You can't have that freedom that was so important to him. But instead, the staff came up with a solution to figure out how they would know where he is. And in the event that there was a problem, they would know how he could alert the staff. Another thing that he was able to do, his, he wanted to go deer hunting in the worst way. And his son and the staff that worked in the greenhouse home said, we're going to figure out how we can enable that to happen for him. And in fact, he did. And he went deer hunting with his son. It took extraordinary effort from the staff's part, but that was important to Lou. And it was important to the team to figure out how they could make that happen. And he did. And the pride that he experienced as he was able to experience the joy of getting a deer, if you will, and uh, bringing it home and, and sharing it with, showing it to those that lived in the greenhouse home. So it's the power of normal, the benefits. What are the benefits? The benefits are when we normalize our programs and we normalize 
our environments, when we create that sense of real home, when we enable people to live with autonomy and control, those are benefits that you and I enjoy, that we experience in our own homes. And it's what we really seek to enable for those living in greenhouse homes. And in fact, we have research that would determine that engagement goes up for those living in greenhouse homes. There's less weight loss because of the aromas of food, those quality of life experiences, being able to do the things that one loves to do is extremely important. And I have to tell you, I think probably during the pandemic, I referenced previously the social isolation that occurred during lockdown. Well, in greenhouse homes, it's not that we were exempt from meeting those requirements. We were all, they were all in private rooms, number one, but what they were able to do to really honor that social distancing requirement. And I think my favorite story was that of Tupelo, Mississippi, where the greenhouse homes started in 2003. They opened the first four greenhouse homes. But in Tupelo, I've always appreciated that creative spirit. And yes, we've got to do this, and we're going to ensure quality of life happens. So something that's really important to those living in Tupelo is their barbecue. And so it was in June 2020 that they said, we're going to have what we are calling a quarantine. It was barbecue under quarantine, and they were able to get the residents that lived in the greenhouse home outside into that secured backyard, socially distanced, but they were able to fire up the grill, and they were able to experience some of the things that are so important to them as people that live in Mississippi. They love their barbecue. They were able to experience something that felt a bit normal, even during the pandemic, And think about ourselves and how important it was to be able to get outside, to be able to do some things, to fire up our grill. And so it's it's not saying because you're in a nursing home, you can't do this. Yes, there were rules and regulations that govern nursing homes that they were not exempt from, but that creativity and that ability for greenhouse homes because of their environment, because of that philosophy, because of staff empowerment, they were able to really bring person-directed living, even during a pandemic. And I'm also wondering if these benefits that you've already described for the residents and for the staff would extend to family members as well. I'm thinking your, your example about the barbecue, the fact that family members then could also visit their family members if they were outside, especially in 2020, when things were acute and people were not vaccinated. So are the benefits uh, extending, as I'm questioning, of the Greenhouse Project to family members as well? Absolutely. It's it's really interesting. They got very creative once again. So to the the quarantine that I was talking about, family members were there. They were in their cars on the periphery of the fence, and they were able to see their loved one from a distance, of course. Um, and they were definitely on the periphery on the outside of a, a fence, but it was a fence they could see through. The other thing that they did, they had parades like on Mother's Day and Father's Day, and family members would kind of drive through and their loved ones would be outside their greenhouse home with their signs and they were communicating, horns were honking, and 
they just got highly creative as to how they could maintain that level of communication. One of the earliest research uh, done on greenhouse homes really quantified the family satisfaction and that families felt more engaged with what was going on there. They felt like they were an extension of a greenhouse home and that they they really had that real home, just I can go visit mom and it feels like I'm visiting her kind of in her own home. And I think my first experience visiting a greenhouse home when I started work in 2008, I went to visit uh, some greenhouse homes in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan And I remember sitting at the lunch table where all the elders and the staff were sitting together and family members were having lunch. And I just sat there in amazement. I thought, this is like a Thanksgiving dinner where family members are here, where this is like one big family. And many times family members, they they would tell me, yeah, I just, I stop and have a cup of coffee with mom on my way to work in the morning, or I might stop in the evening and, you know, have dinner with mom. And that happens in greenhouse homes. So that connection is so important. And I have to say during COVID, I was amazed at the staff enabling families to stay connected. So obviously visitation was not happening in greenhouse homes. Um, as it wasn't happening in traditional homes. But what some of the stories I heard was, yeah, I've got my cell phone. And, you know, when Mary is getting anxious because she can't see her daughter, I just do a little FaceTime with her mom and, um, and, and the daughter. And so they're able to see one another and they were able to connect even during COVID and, you know, really just helping to support that need to connect just to hear my daughter's voice, albeit virtually, but they were able to do those sorts of things. They often, family said, the the staff were like surrogate family. They knew them so well, and that consistency of staffing enabled things to happen that family members had that peace of mind that oftentimes when one moves their loved one into a nursing home, they don't always have that peace of mind or feel like mom is really going to be well taken care of. And certainly during COVID, let's just say it was really challenged for traditional nursing homes to really maintain family connections to their loved ones. We'd like to think at this point in time, because more people are vaccinated and boosted, especially amongst the older adult population, that things are better, but we still have to be mindful, wearing masks, depending on where we we go, and, and you never know if there is a new variant or whatever. Would you say that there is still, based on the behavior and the, the situation that you described, that there's still that attention, even in the Greenhouse Project, of an awareness and caution for the people who live there to make sure that people are safe and not isolated. Does that continue in some form? It definitely does. You know, I think, you know, I'd like to think we're post-pandemic. We're not. And, uh, you know, there still is a rigor by which, you know, depending on where your greenhouse home is located, that there are definitely things that, uh, a vigilance that needs to be maintained. And it's, it's challenging. I'm, I'm, you know, not going to minimize the challenges that are out there, the constant testing and, you know, the masking and, 
You know, we, we talked about as we're communicating with one another, if I had a mask on today, how much harder would it be for you and I? We can see each other, and I can see your facial expressions, all of them. And I, I know that was that has been challenging, and it is certainly, if you're in a greenhouse home or you're in a traditional nursing home, it's wearing on the staff. It's wearing on the residents. You know, I'm not going to minimize it. And, you know, I think we're going to have to really work hard to just think about how we're going to address this more comprehensively and holistically and value the people that work there and value the people that live there. And it's not a a singular solution, but it's multifaceted and it's really going to require that we get out of our fragmentation and really seek to work together to find solutions. One thing I wanted to kind of turn to more the administrative rather than the living uh, aspects of the greenhouse projects. First of all, I was wondering most of the time or all of the time now in this interview where we've been talking about nursing home models, are there other settings in which the greenhouse projects are offered uh, like extended care or other residential care facilities? Yeah, great question. So about, I would say, 80% of greenhouse homes are licensed to skilled nursing, and the other would be assisted living. We've got adult family care in the state of Washington. And so, yes, I mean, greenhouse is a real home, and it is very adaptable. It is very, very flexible, In 2010, we had greenhouse homes that opened to do nothing but short-term rehab. So I mentioned earlier that people that go into nursing homes, often they go just for a temporary stay, a short-term stay. And so we have homes that are now dedicated, greenhouse homes that are dedicated just for short-term rehab. And what a wonderful place to be able to experience rehab And really, you're not rehabbing to go home to a gym. You're rehabbing to go home and to have a real home laboratory for you to have your your rehab experience. And you've got therapists that are coming there as opposed to you going to a therapy gym. The other thing is specialty populations. We had a very creative um, greenhouse adopter in Boston, Massachusetts, who said, got a passion to support people living with Lou Gehrig's disease and those living with multiple sclerosis, a younger population of people. But we believe that the greenhouse model would be ideal for supporting them and for them to be able to have that sense of community and not just kind of even shut in their own homes having support, but really in the context of that community within a greenhouse home. And so, in fact, they've got two homes for those uh, living with ALS and a home for those individuals living with multiple sclerosis. We had some homes open in Wyoming for those living with intellectual and developmental disabilities. That's the flexibility of this model. It's bringing real home to those populations of people that need it. We also, in uh, Detroit, we have a really unique partnership between the PACE program and uh, Greenhouse Homes, the Presbyterian Villages of Michigan and Southeast Michigan PACE program, partnered together so that PACE participants, they live in greenhouse homes, but they go receive services in the PACE model uh, during the day. So there's a lot of creativity uh, 
um, exhibited by greenhouse adopters. I've got a couple mantras. It's all about leadership, those thought leaders who really are seeking creative solutions to some of the challenges that we've been talking about. And the other one, it's all about relationships and really valuing people and developing those deep knowing relationships, uh, both with staff and the elders and with family. Well, that kind of leads me to my next question. I, you you explained very well as to specific criteria, and I, I'm hearing that in some cases uh, it would be according to a diagnosis that people would be in a particular greenhouse project home. I did want to ask one question before I want to get into cost, but for the nursing home model, since that's 80%, are there any specific criteria that older adults must meet to live in a greenhouse uh, project nursing home? So any criteria that would enable you to live in any nursing home would enable you to live in a greenhouse home. So there is no condition that's too complex or frailty too uh, significant that you would not be eligible to live in a greenhouse home. And so then my next question does relate to the cost, is what is the cost to live in a greenhouse project, and uh, is this different than, again, the traditional nursing home model? Are families required to sign some kind of a financial agreement? What would be the financial expectations? Sure. It's important to note that the payer sources for nursing home would be Medicaid, Medicare for short-term rehab, and private pay. Sometimes there are uh, some private insurances, long-term care insurance plans, and and that sort of thing that would make you um, eligible, that that would pay for nursing home stay. But it's the same for greenhouse homes. I will tell you that depending on the state that you live in, Medicaid rates vary state by state. There are some states that have a more favorable Medicaid uh, reimbursement rate than others. And I will tell you that greenhouse, uh, those residents living in greenhouse homes, our last uh, data point showed that we have close to 50% are supported by Medicaid, which that's for long stay. And again, there are certain states that have a much more favorable rate. There was one state, the state of Arkansas, actually, they decided that if you were going to be building greenhouse homes and for and operating greenhouse homes, that there needed to be a bump in the Medicaid reimbursement rate for a small house type model. That's the type of incentive I'm hoping that we'll get to, because I just think it is where we would want people to live. It's where you or I would want to live. It's certainly where we'd want our loved ones to live. And that I just believe we should incentivize what we want to see. So Medicaid, Medicare, and private pay. The average cost for private pay, once again, it varies state by state, location, 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 you know, where your house is built, rural Arkansas or urban Boston or New York City, it varies. And so the cost would be, I think the last time I checked, it was about 277 per day, um, upwards to about 500 a day. So location, location, and it's highly variable, and that's the private pay rate. So is 
that rate than the same whether someone was living in a greenhouse project versus a traditional model? Is that kind of a standard rate then, or does that vary? Is there a variation because of the amenities, say, in the greenhouse project versus the traditional nursing home model? Well, you need to remember you're get, it, they're all private rooms, and so sometimes one might be paying more for a private room in a traditional building than a semi-private room. And unfortunately, there are still three and four bedrooms in nursing homes. So rates often vary in a traditional nursing home, whether it's a private room, semi-private, or something else. Um, in a greenhouse home, I would say that there are many times there is a bit more, it's a, a bit higher, uh, the private pay rate in a greenhouse home than the private pay rate in their traditional home. So there often is a bit of a bump there. Okay. And that would be something that people would have to explore as well. And did I hear you also, Susan, say that long-term care insurance for those uh, individuals who have it, that there is some possible coverage in long-term care insurance? Depending on the policy, and I will tell you as a former home care nurse, policies vary significantly, and so you have to see exactly what they will pay for. Um, But yes, there definitely is that as a possibility. Okay. One thing I also was wondering, you've already mentioned about people with different diagnosis and, um, and the diagnosis, particularly going back to the nursing home. I'm aware that in some more traditional facilities, they have memory care units. So I was wondering if in the greenhouse project, sometimes the adults who are diagnosed with dementia may have different needs. Are there special types of greenhouse projects for people with dementia because of the care that's required? I think that's a a wonderful question. And I think as we try to destigmatize and really get rid of some of the stereotypes that would devalue people living with a diagnosis of dementia, we really try an integrated, uh, to achieve an integrated approach and to see people as people with value. And so that means we're going to the education and equipping the staff. We want to make sure they've got the skills and the ability to be able to support a person who is living with dementia. I'll just tell you a quick story. I was visiting a greenhouse home in rural Arkansas, and I had the good pleasure of sitting with a granddaughter who told me the story of her Mima, as she called her affectionately. And she said her Mima was living with her, um, her grandfather, and she became so withdrawn as her dementia progressed. She said this woman who used to bake, used to play the piano, used to do all sorts of things, she said she became more and more and more withdrawn, would not want to go out. And then her, she saw her grandfather becoming reclusive as well because he wasn't able to support her. He wasn't able to go out. She heard about Greenhouse and suggested that they move Mima into a Greenhouse home. And I can't tell you the quality of life experience that happened for her. As she put it, my Mima came alive. And there was a staff member who had brought in her uh, newborn baby for everybody to take a look at in the home. And this woman who had been almost catatonic in her dementia state, she says, oh, give me the baby. I just want to hold it sang the baby a lullaby, 
She soon was supporting the staff in the kitchen. She wanted to help them bake a cake. She was dancing when her husband would come visit her. She was up dancing. These are the things that happen when we normalize programs and we normalize routines. The power of normal to see people as people doing things that are important to them. That's how the greenhouse model works to support people living with dementia. Well, we're almost out of time, so I am sure that our listeners would want to hear more about your future plans. First of all, where can they learn if there is a greenhouse project model in their location? What What's the best place to find that information? And secondly, what are the future building plans as, as far as different parts of the United States or even worldwide? What, what do we need to know? Well, we've got greenhouse homes in 32 states right now. And we have another three states that uh, we hope to open homes in the next uh, this next year. So you can go to our website, thegreenhouseproject.org, and there's an interactive map, and you can go to that map to see exactly if there is a greenhouse home close to uh, the geographic area in which you live. So our future plans, I mean, we are really wanting to see that this is a model that really I just, you know, I I want to just make it very clear. I don't want to nursing home bash. There are incredible people and there are incredible organizations that are doing amazing work, heroes work every single day. I just believe we can do better. And so once again, on our website, our future plans, you can see where there are organizations that are rebuilding their nursing homes uh, in new states and um, expanding sites in uh, states where we already are there. I really invite people to just be an advocate with us to really just see how we can, you call this a promising possibility for the future, and I couldn't echo that more. I think it really is a place where you or I would want to live. And say that website address one more time, Susan? Sure. It's www.thegreenhouseproject, all one word, dot org. Okay. Well, I want to thank Susan Ryan, Chief Executive of the Greenhouse Project, for joining me today. Thank you, Susan. It was a pleasure to, to learn about this great new project. Thanks so much, Cheryl, for your time. And to learn more about Aging Matters, uh, listeners can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, you can access all Aging Matters radio and TV show content, in addition to the Aging Matters podcasts on Apple and Spotify. And this program will be on Apple and Spotify as well. So be sure and check that out. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. You can learn more about that company at inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. 